Father, as we open your word, please open our hearts. Lord, speak to us by your spirit, all ages today. Lord, wherever we are, whatever's going on in school, at work, in relationships, Lord, help us to be open and to learn and to receive from you uh, that we might be changed. Lord, equip and encourage us to live kingdom first in all areas of our lives, every day of every week of every year, for the honor and glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When I was younger, I did BMX bike racing. Loved it. Did it for a number of years. And I was good. I don't say that in a prideful way. Well, mostly. I was good. I'm in the biggest race in the year, the Grand Nationals. Um, I got second place. I know it's not first, but it was second. Um, I won a lot of races. And there was one guy, Jason Christie. Hard to forget because he's got a really good name. Jason beat me all the time. Like no matter where we were, I'm glad he was in another district. I was number one in our district, but he always beat me. Um, he was a little bigger than I was, a little more experienced, just always beat me. Except for one race. And there may have been a few more, but there's one that I remember. It was the first and maybe only time I ever beat him. If you've ever seen a BMX track, it's not just a circle, it's not a straight line. You're going, you're weaving, there's hills, there's all these things you're going through. And as we came into a last turn, he went a little bit wide on one of these berms. And I passed him, and there was this stretch where you had a few little hills, and then up. you just got to power as much as you could. And I mean, I could feel him coming up beside me. But I crossed that finish line ahead of him, and I got back there, and I stopped, and I'm, I'm just, I'm in awe. Like, I didn't even know what happened. I can't believe I just beat Jason Christie. And I look back, and this is what I see. He picked up his bike, and he threw it as far as a nine-year-old can throw a bike. Now, our bikes weighed nine pounds. Because in bike racing, you did everything you could to make those bikes light. Um, you know, this plastic seat here and nine pounds. I mean, he hurled this little bike. Now, just for the parents, they also cost around $1,500 in 1983. His dad was so, I can't say it, there's kids in the room. So mad as he threw that bike. That is not finishing well. It's the opposite of finishing well. I can't say in getting second place to him all these times that I always had a great attitude. I do know I never threw my bike, although that may have been because I was afraid of my dad. I'm not sure. But that is not finishing well. Getting to the end and having so much anger and regret for what didn't happen, for, for what you didn't do, for not going hard enough for whatever it was, and getting to the end and just 
throwing that thing. This morning, we see Moses at the very end of his life. Very end. And we look at one thing. How do we finish well? Kids, you have a lot longer to go than most of us. (laughs) However, finishing well does have something to do with how you live your whole life. And you guys have some time that some of us don't anymore have. But how do you live well now so that you finish well in the end? How do we finish well? If you would, open up your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. You heard a little portion of it read. I want to read a little more to you so you can see the picture of where he is at. Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which was opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. That's the picture. He's up on this mountain, and he's looking out over the land. Like if you've ever gone to you know, Colorado or you've stood on those mountains and you just look, and it's like you can see forever. That's where Moses is. He's up looking out over the land. All Nephtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. So he's up there, and he's looking out over all this land, this beautiful vista. And God says, this is the promise. This is that promise I made to your ancestors way back then. And then Moses will die. And we'll look at it in a few minutes. And God... At least that's what it looks like in the text. God will bury him. What makes a good finish? What comes to the end of life? And instead of having regrets, what is it that makes a good finish? I just want to give you two things in Moses' life. Number one, relationships. Relationships. Moses had an amazing relationship with God. I start it this way. Moses went to God about everything. He went to God when he was upset. He went to God when he wanted to praise him. He went to God when he didn't have answers. He went to God when the people were upset about things. He was always going to God, even to the point that when the people rebelled and God was so angry that he said, I can't even be around these people Moses took his tent and pitched it outside so we could still meet with God. Nothing would keep him from meeting with God. That was the kind of relationship that he had with the Lord. He was always coming to him. I would say to us, you do not have to wait for evening prayer, for a meal, for getting up in the morning to come to God. That prayer and communicating with God can be a regular, ongoing thing about everything that's going on in your life. 
Kids, while you're in school, you can be talking to God all the time. Parents, when you're at work, when you're watching a sports game, when you're with friends, it doesn't matter. Moses was always wanting to talk to God. Not only was he always wanting to talk to him, he wanted to know God more. His relationship was such that he kept wanting to know more. There's a point we read a week or two ago where God was removing his presence, and Moses is like, please don't do that. And God says this to Moses, all right, I will be with you, Moses. I will give you peace. I'll take you into the land. That's awesome, except that wasn't enough. Moses follows that up by saying, yeah, but God, I want more. God, I want to know you more. I want to see your glory. I want to keep getting to know you, which is exactly what we do in relationships, right? I mean, what do you do when you have friends over? Hey, how are things going? Tell me about what's happening. We get to know them. Think about your spouse. Aaron and I have been married for 20 years. We still want to sit down, have conversations, and go, tell me what's going on. Tell me about your life. I want to still get to know you more. Moses wanted to know his God. That's a relationship, right? Moses had a relationship with the Lord, and he kept pushing. He kept wanting more, praying and talking and seeking. But he also had a relationship with people, especially people of God. I mean, Moses, this dude would not give up on these people. I mean, he walked with them, talked with them, taught them. When they were being not good people, Moses still stuck with them and tried to lift them up. I mean, over and over again, could you imagine what it would be like? I mean, just imagine this for a moment. Imagine if you were teaching people week after week after week, and they never got it. Could you imagine what that would be like? I mean, I can't, but... Moses, over and over again, he's teaching the people. And it didn't matter that they kept rebelling. He just kept teaching them. And when he gets to the end of his life, he's still thinking about them. Do you know the entire book of Deuteronomy is essentially a testament given to the next generation to say, I still want to see your relationship with God go. That when you get to the end of Deuteronomy, he's blessing every individual tribe, giving them a blessing. And at the very end, he had taken Joshua and he'd laid hands on him to say, guess what, guys, even after I'm gone, I'm still taking care of you. Joshua's going to move forward with you. Relationships. Over and over again, you keep seeing Moses, whether it's with God or it's with the people, it's his own family. Relationships. Why is that so important? Study done by a hospice nurse. I'm 10 regrets that people have. Um, relatively large study book was written out of it, but 10 regrets that people have. Out of the 10, he, he's over there. Um, I'm going to read five, okay? And I want you to hear the commonality. Five out of the 10 regrets. I worked too much and never made time for my family. I should have made more time for friends. I should have said I love you a lot more. I should have, resol- I should have been a bigger person and resolved my problems with people. I wish I'd had children. Five out of the ten biggest regrets were relationships. 
Not only that, here's a man, Kerry Egan. Um, he was a hospice chaplain for more than a decade. And this is what he wrote. I visit people who are dying in their homes, in hospitals, in nursing homes. And if you were to ask me the question, and here's the question, what do people who are sick and dying talk about with a chaplain? I, without hesitation or uncertainty, would tell you. Mostly, they talk about their families, about their mothers and fathers, their sons and daughters. They talk about the love they felt and the love they've given They often talk about the love they didn't receive or the love they didn't even know how to offer, the love they might have withheld from others. They talk about how they learned what love is and what it's not. It's all relationship. And when you get to that point, when when you are passing, when you are going to take your last breath, that it really doesn't matter how big your home was, how fast your car was, what position you had in a company. Nobody's talking about that when they're dying. What they're talking about is, who did I love and who loved me? What they're talking about is, who I wish I would have loved, who I wish I would have given more to. What they're talking about is relationships. Over and over and over again, you see this. So with that in mind, I give you one encouragement, one exhortation. Evaluate your life right now and ask yourself, and as you walk out of this place, ask yourself, what are you pouring into people? What are you pouring into your family? What are you pouring into your friends? Because those are the things that are going to matter. And so... My son, who's in here with me right now, uh, my son loves Spider-Man. I mean, loves Spider-Man. And we have all six Spider-Man movies. Right? Three of them have Tobey Maguire in them. Two of them have Andrew Garfield in them. And then the newest one has Holland. What's his name? I forgot his name. Oh, no. Tom Holland, I think, like, in it. We have all of them. Here's what's happening with Spider-Man. They did the first set, and then they rebooted it. They did some things differently. And then they rebooted it again, and they started him younger, and they got him connected in different ways. And and guess what? They've done it with Batman, and they've done it with Superman. They keep rebooting. You don't get to reboot. There is no rebooting. Whatever age you are right now, you don't get to get any younger. You have the time you have right now. Now, I know we have eternity, but you also have this moment right here to make of this moment the most you can so that when you get to Moses' moment, and I know, especially for the kids, that seems so far away. I get that. I mean, it wasn't until I had a child and I suddenly I looked at my first child, I looked at me, and then I looked at my dad, and I went, oh my goodness, I'm getting older. Like I actually am. I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards something. I'm, I'm getting towards like that halfway point of life. And I, You only have this time. There's no reboots. Make the most of it by focusing on your relationships. Here's a second. Second thing that's true of Moses. 
As Moses is standing on that mountain, I said I was going to come back to it. Here is what is said. Back in verse 4. This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. And then there's this line. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. You have to ask the question. Is God throwing it in his face? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. I brought you up here just to show you what you don't get. That's kind of what it looks like. Take a look at all that beautiful land out there, Moses. You can't have any of it. You're going to die. Is that what he's doing? And I would make the argument, there are a number of things in this text that would tell us something very different is happening. And it's that different thing that is happening and is the second key to a life that finishes well. Right? A couple of little details in this passage. Number one, when he says, I will allow you to see this, that word see in Hebrew, that is a hifil perfect verb, which quite often is a causative verb. A translation of this that you will find in some other text is this right here. I will cause you to see this. That God is actually behind Moses being able to see what he's seeing. God wanted him to see this. Then as you move down towards the text, you find out that it is God who buries Moses. Burying somebody can be a very intimate, very special thing. I mean, the only buddy at Moses' funeral is God. And then you keep going down the text, and there's a reminder, a re-emphasis, that Moses is the one who saw God face to face. There was something very beautiful between God and Moses. And this moment is not God telling Moses, I'm shoving your face. If you only hadn't screwed up, that's what you would have had. That's not what God is doing. Moses did screw up. There was a moment in the life of Moses where he had been leading these people for about 40 years. He had put up with all their junk for a really long time. His sister Miriam had passed not too long before that. Moses was struggling. He had some hurt and some pain and some weariness and everything else. But God very specifically said, Moses, I want you to do something. And Moses took it into his hands to do what Moses wanted to do, not what God wanted him to do. And Moses took credit for something that was going on. And in the words of God, he did not honor God before the people. And God said, you are not going to go into land now, Moses. But I'm bringing you up on this mountain, and here's exactly what I think he was doing. I'm bringing you up on this mountain because I want you to see what your life has been about. You, Moses, are part of a bigger story. It's the reason he started in the past with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That promise, that promise continued through you, Moses. And not just through you, but it's going to keep going. After you, that promise keeps going. What you have given your life for, Moses, is this big story that I, God, am writing. And so what you've committed to is something that lasts. It's something that right now, it's as if he gets to stand up there and go, yes. Like, I don't have to have regrets because I know what I've poured into. God's going to keep moving with. God's going to keep going forward with. All these people will get to experience it. I did not waste my life, is what Moses can say by standing on that mountain and looking forward as God reminds him. This is what I started back here. 
This is what I'm still doing through you. This is what I will continue to do. You, Moses, were part of that. And make no doubt about it, Moses absolutely dedicated that to God, his life. He taught about who God was. He taught about what God was like. He taught about what God would do for the people. He stuck with the people and he walked them through. And when they messed up, he said, no, let's get back to God. And when God was so mad, he said, God, no, these are your people. He was very much dedicated to doing the work of God. What mattered to God mattered to Moses. You and I are part of a bigger picture. We're part of this story, this ongoing story of redemption and love. And when our lives are part of that story, you can get to the end and you can stand on that mountain and you can look out and go, God is going to keep going. What I did mattered because I did it for him. What I did was about what God wanted. And that has meaning. I found this anonymous quote. I wish I could have given it. It's a great quote. I probably could have just taken credit, but that would have been very ungodly. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Let's say it again. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And when you're breathing your last breath, there's a bunch in this life that really doesn't matter. And we spend a lot of time on those things. But when we're throwing ourselves in to what God wants, to what matters to him, to lifting him up, then we are about the right things. Um, my family likes Halloween. And I know if you were raised in a fundamentalist, evangelical, really conservative Christian home, that could be really blasphemy to you. You may wonder about my salvation. But we like Halloween. Um, my kids love it. They have fun. They love dressing up. They love pumpkins, which is why we have pumpkins up here right now. Somebody asked whether or not, I think it was Andy, like I'm not so sure about pumpkins and the cross being together, but, but we like pumpkins and we like carving them. And we spend some energy, like we spend some effort thinking about this. And my kids go online like weeks before and they start searching for the, the diagram, whatever it is they're going to print out to put on that pumpkin so they can carve that particular one. And we buy tools to carve pumpkins with. And this one I found this year, I'm really excited to try it. You hook it to your drill and after you do the, open the thing up, you just put the ceiling and it's supposed to get all the stuff out of the inside. It may not work, but it's going to be fun trying it. We do all this stuff and put all this time and this energy into pumpkins. We like them. They're fun. And you know what? After you finish, they can be really cool looking, especially at night. Um, this year, um, Kira and Keenan are trying to do one where we've got, we've got a small pumpkin, and Kira wants to, and we've got a big pumpkin, and she wants to make a really big mouth and put the little pumpkin inside the mouth of the big pumpkin so it's eating it. These are really neat. And especially when it's dark and you put the candles in and you see the thing, we love it. But here's the thing about pumpkins. After you carve them, they don't last very long. Um, this one is actually not too bad. Um, if you're in the front row, you can begin to see his teeth are falling out. Um, his eyes have kind of shriveled a little bit. He can't see. It's kind of like real life, you know. You get older, you can't see anymore. Um, 
and like his nose is falling apart. He just he's falling apart. I mean, this is and you know what? This pumpkin. He's actually still cold. Um, he's been outside for just a couple days. Is all three days. Um, he's had the benefit of thirty degree weather, and so you know to help his uh, um, degrading here. But in the next few days, there will not be much left of this pumpkin. Um, we watch it every year. They just kind of their face caves in. It just gets all nasty and gross. We put all this time and energy into something that, yeah, it looks great when we first get it, but it doesn't last. It doesn't last. Do you want that to be your life? You put all this time and energy into it. You sought after a bunch of things, whether it is fame or money or positions or whatever it is, making people like you. When you get to the end and you go, why did I do that? Why didn't I love more? Why didn't I focus on God more? Why didn't I focus on my kids more? Why didn't I spend more time with my spouse? Why didn't I do these things that God actually cares about instead of carving pumpkins with my life? This is what happens. The way that Mother Teresa said it really hits home. At the end of life, we will not be judged by how many diplomas we have received, how much money we've made, how many great things we have done. We will be judged by, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was homeless and you took me in. We're going to be judged by how we share the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of people. That's what's going to matter. How we give and how we serve and how we love our families and others. That's what's going to matter. Here's a little added side benefit to this bigger story idea. Moses was 80 years old when he started his ministry. Anybody imagine that? I mean, 80 years old, when he started his ministry. He'd go for 40 years. Can you imagine if he could just started earlier? Like the first 80 years of his life, I mean, here's what Moses was doing for the first 40. He's been trained in Egypt. He's in the home of the very people that are enslaving his people. And I cannot imagine Moses I mean, hundreds of times wasn't looking out at his people and going, I got to do something. I got to do something. But he was afraid. And he never acted. You ever been afraid? You ever known you need to do something, but you're afraid to do it? 40 years. When he finally does it, it doesn't go the way he wanted it to go at all. In fact, it backfires. And Moses' life is in danger, and you know what he does? He goes into witness protection. So what he does, he goes to a whole other place, gets a new identity as a shepherd, raises a new family, joins a new family, and he runs away from it all. And he spends 40 years with sheep. My goodness, Lord, could you have not have done something a little earlier? What could this guy have accomplished in 60 years, 80 years? I mean, everything he did in 40, why not more? Have you ever felt like maybe you've taken a wrong direction? Have I wasted part of my life? I can't get this back. If I made some wrong decisions, 
Maybe I shouldn't have done that. What if only I had? Here's the amazing things. And kids, listen to this. Because you're not here yet. You haven't made any life-altering decisions where you've gone down a path for like 10 years and you're going, what have I done? Parents, listen to this. Because we all have. If you are part of God's bigger story, it does not matter what has happened in the past. Surrender it to him because he will use it. What matters is this moment, it is 10.52 on it's Sunday, October 29th. What matters is right now forward. What do you give to him right now? Because much like he could say to Moses, here's this story I started back here and moved forward, he can say to your life, yeah, I know you did these things back here, but I mean, Moses became a shepherd. Golly, that had to have been important while he was trying to shepherd all these crazy Israelites. Moses got married and had a family. I wonder how much that helped. I mean, I can tell you I am a better minister to families because I have my own kids. doesn't matter. Instead of looking back with regret, go, all right, maybe I did do something I shouldn't have done. That's okay. Give it to God. Surrender it and move forward from this point in him. There's a... You know, Martin Luther King has his very famous speech um, about dreams and things, but he's got another one. April 3rd, 1968. He gave a speech where he began talking about all these different eras in history and saying he would not be in any of them because they had their point and he's where he needs to be right now at this point in time. That's where he needed to be. And he was excited about that period of time. And the last paragraph of the speech comes directly out of Deuteronomy 34. This is what he says. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I am happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He would die the next day without any regrets because his eyes had seen the glory of the Lord, because he had seen what God was doing, because he was on board with what God was doing. It didn't matter what the past was and it didn't matter what the future was. What mattered is at that moment, he was on board with God, focused on people moving forward. You want to finish well? Focus on relationships and focus on being a part of the bigger story that God is doing because God is working something bigger than all of us, but we get to be a part of it. And it can change how we view everything. This is not, I almost didn't wear a robe because I was going to ride this around, except my knees hit the handlebars. Um, This is called a pit bike. This is not actually the bike that I raced on. Um, This is the bike in between races that we would ride around on. 
We did tricks on them, and we just had lots of fun. Most of the kids had pit bikes. Um, also really good, expensive bikes. Um, not nine pounds, though. They're quite heavy. Um, my bike, I actually have no idea where it is. It's, um, it's been kind of heartbreaking, actually. Um, my little brother took my 19, this was in 1986, took my $1,500 plus bike, rode it to Long's Drugs, and then just laid it on the sidewalk outside and walked in to buy something. And it was gone, as you might imagine. Gone. No idea where that bike is. I cannot tell you what I wanted to do to my brother. I mean, I thought about it for years, to have that bike. It was such a part of my history, like a part of every, so much of my childhood. I wanted to give it to my kids. I mean, they, they may not do BMX bikes, but I wanted to give it to them. And there was something about that bike that kind of represented who I was. And my brother, it's stupid. Just don't lock that thing up. Why not ride your pit bike to the store? You have to take my racing bike. I spent so many years being upset by it. It's a bike. That's all it is, is a bike. I mean, I've thought about what if my brother... What if somebody saw that bike? Because I actually had some guys chase me down one time and start beating me up to try to take my bike. What if my brother had gotten beaten up? What if my brother had been like left out in the street or something and like hit back? I mean, my brother was good. My bike was gone. Which one do I really care the most about? And it's also given me a perspective on some stuff. Like, do I really have to have all the stuff? Like, there's more important things in life than stuff. And I'm still learning that lesson. But I'm learning it. Because I'm part of a bigger story. I'm part of a story that God is telling. And all of my past, including my little bike thing, all the wrong mistakes I've made, they're all part of it. But I can move forward from right now. And so can the rest of us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your story. Thank you for the history that you are writing. Lord, may we be eager and willing participants. May we find comfort and security in knowing that you're writing the story and we get to be a part of it. Knowing that you can take anything in our past and you can use it still. You can redeem it. Lord, help us as we leave this place to evaluate our emphasis on relationships and to look more closely, to think more about being a part of the story that you are, you are writing. Lord, that we might focus on bringing your redemption to others, your love to others, serving people, putting all of our energy where it really belongs. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.